You are Locked On Irish, your daily podcast on the Notre Dame Fighting Irish. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Today's episode is brought to you by Built Bar. Go to BuiltBar.com and use promo code LOCKEDON and you'll get 20% off your next order. Welcome back, folks, to today's episode of Locked On Irish. We are going to discuss another cancellation for the men's basketball team. Then we will hit on Notre Dame's recent victory against Syracuse on Senior Day. We're going to talk about that game, some of the key takeaways, and then obviously wrap things up as we are transitioning our focus to some basketball games for what is going to be a bye week for the Notre Dame Fighting Irish before they face Clemson in the ACC Championship game the following Saturday. That is December 19th. So stay tuned for that. That is going to be a fun, exciting week of football. Before we get into it, though, I am Joe DeLeon, former college football player at the Division I level, joined by Ryan Roberts, who is the director of scouting at NFL Draft Bible. Ryan, getting into what ends up being a somber start to the show is hitting on yet another cancellation for the men's basketball team. We already dealt with a cancellation against Tennessee, and, and we, we didn't really think too much about it. We just kind of hit on it. Yeah, this game got canceled, and we, we were kind of expecting to see some early cancellations. We, I, I don't think I was too shocked. It didn't seem like you were too shocked when that happened. Then Western Michigan gets canceled or, or permanently postponed. They slot in Purdue-Fort Wayne. That is when we started to discuss it being a little bit questionable. You know, maybe having some a little bit of worry on what is to come for the remainder of the season. However, that Purdue-Fort Wayne game also gets canceled because Purdue-Fort Wayne had to pause all of their basketball activities. In a last-second effort to get a game in, they are now playing Detroit on Sunday while we are recording this. So you're going to hear that conversation about Detroit on the Tuesday show. We're going to break that, that game down for you. But right now, that is last-second just attempt to play a basketball game so they... They can play more than one game after about two weeks of the season starting. So, Ryan, what are your thoughts, though, on just seeing yet another cancellation? I mean, it's very unfortunate, obviously, right? Like, we're, we're looking at this, and we, we talked about this in depth. I, I don't know how college basketball is going to last in this current in, in this current environment, in this current state of the world as we're living in right now. We're looking at... Bas- college basketball, because the NBA, again, you can throw the guys in a bubble, you can throw these teams in a bubble, and they can stay there, right? You give them your family, and, and everything is fine. We can figure it out. We can we can control the control what's going in and out. For college basketball, constant travel. There's imperfect situations. If your team gets it, then you're quarantined. The other part that we didn't even mention, like, Oh, in this situation, right? The other team got it. So you de- that's definitely out of your control. I'm just really struggling right now to seeing how college basketball is going to continue on this current trend because now this, this schedule is just going in and out so much. Oh, guys on. Oh, we have to cancel that game. We're bringing another, cancel, uh, another game into the fold. It's just so much uncertainty. And we talked about, again, Coach Brates saying, hey, we're loading up the schedule early on because we don't know if this thing's going to last well, unfortunately, I don't even know if I don't even know if Coach Bray was being realistic with it completely, and it's not his fault. It's just 
Like, what are we doing? It's 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 just every game. It seems like it's getting canceled, getting moved, getting postponed, getting rescheduled. I just I'm having a very hard time to figure out how college basketball is going to last with how it is going out right now. Honestly, at this point, it's like a pickup basketball style tournament that we're dealing with, where you're just you randomly find out that you're playing somebody with a couple hours notice or the day before's notice. Like, there's no time to actually prepare for that opponent. And we're, we're trying our hardest not to be too negative about the outlook on things. We, we don't want to just straight up say, like, this thing's not going to work. But the reality of it is that this start to the season, we're not even that deep in. Notre Dame has played one basketball game, and they've had three straight cancellations. That is not a good trend to be on. College football did not go completely unscathed throughout the entire of the year, entire year of the year. It's it's been a little bit messy recently, but they've still found ways to play football games. Conversely, basketball, the way that they've started is significantly worse. It's not even on the same playing field in terms of the amount of continuous cancellations. So again, if we're being realistic and we're being entirely blunt right now, there is a pretty good chance just based on speculation of what has happened that we might have some type of a stoppage. We yeah. might have to handle some type of a shutdown so that they can figure some of this stuff out because they didn't put in the proper legwork ahead of the season to keep this from happening very clearly. That is very blatantly apparent right now that they put no effort into making this uh, something safe and reasonable and capable of being played. And what continues to screw the college basketball season completely blow the whole thing up is that there is not a, a single governing head over the entirety of college basketball that can relegate how things are gone about in terms of safety precautions. So everybody's just doing whatever the hell they want. And because of that, teams are getting sick or they're maybe having connections to them getting sick and they have to pause basketball activities. We are going to continue to see cancellations. I would not be shocked if, if the, if they try to play the season, if maybe most of these teams only play like 20 games. Yeah. Like that's possible at this rate. I, I think that like, so like looking at it, obviously like there's so many, there's such a high volume of games. The NCAA, these college programs are, are handcuffed to a degree, right? Cause like there's only so much you can do to make this schedule work that you can maximize this, the, the opportunities for these teams and maximize the schedule. Like I think they are handicapped to a degree. I almost like feel like maybe they should have just, scheduled like tournaments like several tournaments over the year where they could have done like a bubble system where they're like you're playing four games in five days or whatever you're all isolated in the same spot so that we can we can really just you know make sure that everyone's getting tested properly we're controlling what's coming in and out and then hey you got those five games done now you're off for a week and then we have another you know one of those it's almost like a pod system right like I feel like that would be a decent situation. Obviously, at this point, it's probably too late to go to something like that. But I just feel like with all the constant movement, uh, inability to really regulate some things, the testing of, of everything, the the team that you're playing against, I just feel like we're too far in already. Like you said, four games, only one has been played. That's a bad percentage, folks. That's a really bad percentage, and I'm not sure that it's going to get any better over the next few weeks. We're talking about the vaccine, you know, sometime in, in the next few months. But, like, hey, at that point, it's going to be too late for college basketball. Right. And, and again, this is us trying our hardest to just be realistic and put out 
what is happening right now in front of you know in front of you so you understand what is at stake if they're actually going to be able to capable capably finish this this season maybe what it is going to take is in maybe by the end of December if things are looking terrible where we maybe Notre Dame and some of these other schools have dealt with we've already had 3 maybe 10 cancellations if it gets to that point for a bunch of notable programs Maybe it takes for them to make a stoppage for a month and then figure out an actual way to go about it. They're going to need to take, take time off if they want to realistically finish this season. There needs to be some type of a plan put in place. And this isn't on Notre Dame. This is not on the individual schools. This is a complete issue and a mismanagement by the NCAA and also the individual conferences. Because if they actually put some thought into it and said, all right, we want to go without getting any cases, not trying to mitigate dealing with guys having a couple cases and some teams having to occasionally shut down. That shouldn't have been the goal. The goal should not have been, how do we make scheduling last second easy? That's that's what I kind of got from it. It's like, how can how can we be prepared to play last second quickly? But it, that's it, not, that's that's dumb. That's dumb. It should have been, how do we keep everybody from getting sick? Right, right, yeah. I mean, priorities is a big conversation. And it, I think it's really sad because, like, obviously we're football guys, right? Football... Although it has not been perfect, and you know they do have some more positives over college basketball, and this even goes to the NFL. Football is the money maker, so they made it happen, right? Like they made it work. It's not perfect, but they did. I feel like more for these athletes and more for these programs than a college basketball is going to do. So I think it's just kind of like a point towards the where the money's made, and like you said, the priorities. I feel like everyone's priorities are a little messed up to a degree right now, like. The health and safety of these student athletes, of people in general, should be at the forefront. And I, I feel like this is just, excuse my language, but it's a bit of a show right now, to say the least. Thanks. I think I'm going to have to bleep that, by the way. Are you? Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> <Yes>. I apologize. <laughs> no, you're, you're okay. I'll check if I have to or not. Yeah, as you can tell, we are, fr- we are starting to get frustrated, and I'm sure that the Notre Dame men's team is also frustrated Surprisingly, the women's team hasn't as many issues, which is which is interesting that they're they're going a little bit um a little bit cleaner through the season. But things might start to hit them and the opponents. Notre Dame has had bad luck compared to some teams, but hopefully things clear up and hopefully we have Tuesday the the important game, the the next actual opponent that's not Detroit. Um, on Tuesday we can actually talk about this Ohio State basketball game or help hell not maybe do a full show that doesn't end up being useless because the the game ends up being canceled. We are going to transition to talking some about something a little bit more optimistic, a little bit more positive, Notre Dame beating Syracuse on senior day. Before we get to that though, folks, I want to talk to you about my favorite beer on the market, Coors Light. These days, it seems like life forces us to be on all the time. There aren't really a lot of breaks and at the end of a long day, you need a way to Sit back and relax. Every now and then, it's important to hit the, that reset button and just stop. Take a break and relax. That's when you reach for a Coors Light. It's mountain cold refreshment made to chill. I know that what helps me relax the most and me feel comfortable after a lot of work throughout the week is sitting back and drinking a couple of Coors Lights and enjoying watching if it's college basketball, college football, with my friends. It is really the best way to end a long hard-worked week. Coors Light wants you to know no matter what sport you're watching, Saturdays are your time to chill. Even if your team might not be playing at some point, there are still plenty of other teams in sports on TV that can give you an excuse to sit and drink a Coors Light. 
It doesn't matter what team or sport is playing. Coors Light is the official beer of watching any sport or team, especially Notre Dame, just to drink beer. So flip through the channels, find a sport, and crack open a Coors Light. Coors Light is the one that I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit that reset reset button, reach for the beer that is made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door at get.coorslight.com. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Coming up on Tuesday, we are going to have Locked On Buckeyes' Jay Stevens coming on to talk about this interesting matchup between Notre Dame and Ohio State. And again, hopefully we don't have to deal with another uh, full preview and then find out that the game is not being played. Hopefully our luck is finally in our favor, especially for the Notre Dame men's team. Getting into talking about this football, Ryan, this is what we're here for. This is why we do the show, is to talk about some Notre Dame football. The number two ranked team in the country earns another victory, this time over a pretty sloppy Syracuse team. 45-21, to 21, Notre Dame does not cover the spread. Got a lot of people chirping in my ear that they weren't going to, so I was a little bit disappointed there. But they ended up starting slow, kept things close, were actually down at one point, and end up pulling off a pretty handed, easy victory on senior day. So, Ryan, let's get into the offense first. What was your offensive takeaway from this game that wasn't really as clean as what we're used to against a bad opponent? Yeah, I, I felt like Notre Dame, especially early on in this game, kind of sleptwalked through a large portion of the first half. I mean, like you said, we were down 7-3 to three pretty late into the second quarter. And, and, you know, at no point was I like, oh, man, we're going to get upset by 1-9 Syracuse. Like, that never goes through your mind. But I'm just like – you just want a dominant effort, especially on senior day, especially in the season finale. Like we're not really playing for much because it's because you know we're we're going to be in the in the ACC championship game in a couple weeks against Clemson. So like we already had that locked up. So I completely understand why they came out a little flat because they didn't really have anything quote unquote to play for at this point. But it was just it felt very predictable. Uh, we saw. Zeke Corral, who was filling in for Jared Patterson, did not play with an ankle sprain. They held him out because, you know, towards the stretch of the season, we're going to need him healthy. And I saw a lot of younger guys kind of filling in here and there pretty early in the game. And it just, for whatever reason, offensively speaking, everything just seemed very predictable. There were, I think there were two ways to go about this week. One, you're, you're aggressive and you maybe test out some new um, some new packages, some new plays, and, and you just try to use it as a test week moving forward to what you could potentially add to a, a game against Clemson that they've already seen you, right? So, like, adding in some wrinkles might be a good idea. Or you just hold things back, you play it safe, and I felt like there was a lot of, uh, of safety kind of feeling to how Notre Dame attacked the game. In the end, guys like Kyron Williams were still Kyron Williams, over 100 yards. He was still a consistently good football player. Offensive line was solid, even with um, even with a couple a couple uh, backups still in there, Josh Lug moving to center, Dylan Gibbons moving in to right guard. Like It was still a solid outing for the offensive line. There was plenty of time for Ian Buck um, in, as a passer. It just didn't seem as crisp as usual. And then also want to throw in a... a, a uh, a big shout out to Javon McKinley after dropping a touchdown, which was you know pretty easy touchdown early. He ends with over 100 yards and three touchdowns, a career day on senior day for Javon McKinley, the senior wide receiver. So there were some good things. Kyron, Javon, 
you know, they were what they've been this year for the most part. Offensive line was solid. Just didn't feel like it was incredibly crisp. I felt like there was just kind of a disjointed feeling to the game. And I didn't see that we were I didn't think we were seeing anything aggressive or to the usual proponents of the game that maybe we have seen on a week-to-week basis over the last few from Notre Dame. Right. And I was watching the game with uh, you know, a friend of mine, I was at his house and his dad and he and were giving me a, and his, some of his friends were giving me a hard time about the the Notre Dame game because they knew I, I, I'm a fan of the team because it was a little bit closer. And I kept saying they do this all the time. But this is something that we've seen in the past. This is an opponent that they knew they were going to beat pretty easily. Easily, I didn't have the expectation of them to get upset, but I, I just knew in the back of my head. And I think we both knew. They're, we're going to come out slow. It's senior day. They're going to be a little bit more relaxed. They're not going to have that same tone as they usually do. And Notre Dame started slow in the first quarter of a lot of these games. And the, the example I point to, it was close at half against Boston College, and then they blew him out of the water in the second half. So it's kind of like that same situation where it came down to the, those final minutes of this first half in the second quarter where they just exploded and the, and the game was clearly in the in the hands of, of Notre Dame. I, I want to point to offensive takeaway, though, Ryan. We have to give Ian Book uh, a little shout-out here. we got to give Ian Book some recognition for doing something that is a, a pretty respected accomplishment for now being the all-time leader in quarterback wins at the University of Notre Dame. And the, and the obvious reason why this is something worth acknowledging and the reason why this is my takeaway is is because he's among some some pretty good pretty good company. There's some interesting names here, some some maybe some lesser known guys that you you might not heard of if you're a newer fan. But Ian Book passes a three way tie between uh, Brady Quinn, Ron Paulus, and then also uh, uh, Clements, who all had 29 wins as starting quarterbacks for the University of Notre Dame. Uh, Rick Myer and then also uh, uh, Tony Rice were um, at 28. So now. 30 wins for Ian Book. He's going to have a few more games so he can extend that total. He gets a little bit of help because of the college football playoff. But fantastic that we see Ian Book now finish off his career as the all-time uh, all-time quarterback wins leader. And the first quarterback in school history to have 30 wins, to hit that 30 mark. It's, it's a big accomplishment, especially since Ian Book wasn't even a starter going into his redshirt sophomore year, and he took the took – the, the reins down the stretch, so that kind of shows the, the 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 level of excellence that they have played with under Ian Buck, thirty and three as a starter, second all time in Notre Dame history in win percentage, right behind Johnny Lujak. So there is a lot to be excited about for Ian Book in his career that he has had. Uh, you know, he is he has cemented himself among the record books. So when you're talking about one of the best players, best quarterbacks, I should say, in Notre Dame history. That speaks volumes for a program like this. That, like you said, the Brady Quinns, the Joe Montana's, the Tony Reese, right? Tony Reese, Tony Rice's. I, I just, I just um, combined Tommy Reese and Tony, Tony Rice for a second. Tony Two very Rice's, different stylistic quarterbacks, too, <laughs> to say the least. To say the least. But to pass those guys to cement your name amongst those greats in uh, amongst a program in Notre Dame that, despite them not winning a national championship since the late '80s, still have. You know the second most wins of all time, tied for the most uh, Heisman Trophy candidates of all time, uh, national champions. Like they ha- still have their their mark upon college football. To have to have to be in that those names, to be amongst those names in that company speaks volumes for the caliber of play that Ian Book has had over the years. 
I, I do kind of find it funny, and you brought up when he first was here at Notre Dame, Brandon Wimbush was the guy, and, and, and you know we kind of had this, this understanding of who was going to be the guy leading this team for the future. We all thought it was going to be Wimbush, and then out of nowhere, Ian Book starts, and he, he looks pretty good. And then I'm thinking to myself, like, who, who is this Book guy? You know, he, lo- he looks better than anything that I knew about him. I, I wasn't that dove into the team at the time because I think I was in high school. Um, but I, I was a little bit impressed in the first time that I saw him play. And then he continued to get opportunities. He beats out Wimbush. And since then, he's had a, a fantastic career here at Notre Dame. It was an unexpected circumstance where it, it, you would expect the guy who breaks the record to be someone like Jimmy Clausen, who's a five-star quarterback who comes in and, and is going to be some monumental dominant player, but instead it's an unexpected guy who basically came to Notre Dame to, to be a backup. I, th- I don't know if that was his expectation, but that's what everybody else expected from him is that undersized, not a big arm, physically not the most domineering player. He outperformed those expectations. And I understand that you picked him as your, your game ball guy this week, Ryan. Yeah, I mean, he's he's the best improviser in all of college football, right, Oh, Joe? So, stop making fun of me for that. So I still stand by that tape. 24 out of 37, 285 yards, three touchdowns, one bad interception, but it's okay. Three touchdowns, 53 rushing yards, two touchdowns. The guy has over 300 total yards, five total touchdowns in a day that he cemented his name amongst the record books for Notre Dame. Has to be the game ball. He has to be. Just with that performance on top of the historical context that he was able to to um, to to garner during this day, and really kind of reflect on the 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 accomplishments that he has had as the, the Fighting Irish starting quarterback, had to throw it to Ian Book here. All that he has accomplished, it it resonates, and it was just another day where again over 300 yards, five touchdowns. He showed why during his retro sophomore year. They made the switch because he is the consistent playmaker at the position that Notre Dame was lacking for a couple of years. And I know it feels a little crazy that I'm not also going to pick Ian Book, but I just said so we have another name in here because we did also have another senior who had a hell of a performance. And Ryan, you already hit on this guy's name, Javon McKinley. He was the star of the game. Big reason why they were able to pull away in the uh, second quarter, as I mentioned, seven receptions, 111 yards, and three touchdowns. So hell of a day for McKinley and also Ian Book. Ryan, we're uh, actually sorry, in a few minutes we will get to those defensive takeaways. But Ryan, do you have a message for our listeners? Absolutely. It's another sleepy Monday for us. So in order to get through the day, I'm going to tell you all that you need to take the best built bar Oh, the best Built Bar. The best protein bar that is on the market, <laughs> which is Built Bar. It's something that I have been using way before I got onto Locked On with Joe here. It is the approved Built Bar is now even more delicious than it was before. It comes in 18 amazing flavors, including nut and non-nut flavors. Some of the new flavors they have, they have six. Caramel brownie, cookies and cream, cherry barcia, lemon almond cheesecake, carrot cake, and almond apple crisp. They literally have a flavor for any uh, any any flavor profile that you're looking for. They also have the 12 original flavors, including coconut almonds, raspberry, German chocolate cake, peanut butter, banana bread, mint brownie, on and on. The absolute best protein bar, though, I will say. Slam dunk, peanut butter brownie. All the bars are covered in 100% real chocolate. They are soft and easy to chew. 
Built Bar is great for the health-conscious guy on the go. You can lose or maintain weight while indulging in one of these delicious treats. The bars are low-calorie, low-sugar, but they also bring high-protein, high-fiber, and they're great for the keto diet. Some of the protein, uh, some of the protein bars include peanut butter, which has 19 grams of protein, but only 180 calories, only 5 grams of sugar, only 5 grams net carbs. Other flavors like coconut almond, cherry barcia, cookies and cream are equally as delicious as they are good for you. Built Bar has now reset the promo code for their relaunch. You now will get a free cooler with purchases while supplies last. So make sure to take advantage of that offer. Go to BuiltBar.com, use promo code LOCKEDON, that's all capital, LOCKEDON, and you'll get 20% off your next order. Use promo code LOCKEDON for 20% off at BuiltBar.com. Folks, if you are not already subscribed and you're currently listening to this show, go hit that subscribe button so you can stay up to date on every single show. Every single day, we're giving you Notre Dame insight, analysis, news, everything you need to know to be the perfect Notre Dame fan. If you're looking for something else to tune into, though, folks, check out Locked on NBA as they are preparing for the season the wait is almost over the 2020 to 2021 nba season is almost here and the locked on nba podcast will get you ready with a special week of shows beginning december 14th get preview previews of every team division by division from all 30 of your locked on local experts including Waiver wire additions for local or for sorry for locked on fantasy basketball rookies to watch from Chad Ford and predictions on each division from rejecting the screen. Subscribe to Locked On wherever you get your podcasts. Ryan, this defensive performance by Notre Dame was not a typical one. And honestly, my first takeaway, my takeaway from this this defense is that they had an uncharacteristically bad day against the run. I point directly to them giving up big, big performances and and large totals to uh, Sean Tucker and also their other running back, Lutz. Over 100 yards for both of them. They had 248 rushing yards on the day. That is surprising to me, especially against an offense that we talked about as being one of the worst rushing offenses in the country. That, to me, was very disappointing. I think that was the one thing that really irked me the most from this game is that they did not come to stop the run. Yeah, and, and for a, for a offense there in Syracuse that averaged less than 80 yards a game, they more than tripled their season output on average against Notre Dame. It was just kind of the same feeling for me, right? Like It just felt very predictable. It didn't feel like they came in there saying, like, we have to be aggressive defensively, maybe, you know, mix up some blitzes, some run fits. Like, we were just very to your assignments, do your assignments, and we'll see what happens. And it just seemed like there was lacking a little bit of juice there for Notre Dame. They were playing a lot of off coverage in the secondary, like giving out some easy completions. It just didn't seem like the typical aggressive, physical Notre Dame defense. And, like, even when I was looking at the cornerback play – it's making me nervous, Joe. I'm going to be very honest. Like, going back to the Clemson game, the cornerback position opposite Nick McLeod, because Nick McLeod has been super solid for Notre Dame, their best corner by a wide margin. But opposite Nick McLeod, we've seen Tyreek Bracey struggle this year, thinking about to Cornell Powell in the, in the Clemson game. 
Clarence Willis played a bunch this game, and I know the stat, right? Like, we look at box scores, and we think that we that a guy has a good game. 12 tackles for him, very misleading. He was giving up a lot of easy stuff. He had to make a lot of tackles. He did have a forced fumble in the game, which was awesome to see him kind of coming back from, from some uh, adversity during the game. But Clarence Lewis and Tyreek Bracey at the one cornerback spot has me nervous. It absolutely does, especially in the rematch against Clemson. If we have to go against an Ohio State against a guy like Chris Olave, if we have to go against an Alabama with a guy like Devonta Smith or John Mechie, like there's some talented playmakers for this game. Uh, it just kind of really, really highlighted what I think is the worst part of the Notre Dame defense. The, 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 definitely the crux to a very talented defense. I think that that second cornerback spot is a, a, a position where in this game, you saw them take advantage of Clarence Lewis. Uh, you saw Tariq Bracey not even play very much. And it leaves me a little unsettling moving forward. I'm not worried about the defense overall because I think they just kept it very vanilla and they weren't playing their usual brand of football. But that cornerback position from a game-to-game perspective and including this game against Syracuse leaves me very nervous. And it's troubling we're at this final stage of the season and we constantly talk about how this is one of the most complete teams in college football. But that issue at cornerback is going to be something that needs to be focused on and and whoever they end up playing after the ACC championship game and assuming things go well – it's going to be tough. They're going to attack whoever is in that spot, if it's Bracey, if it's Clarence Lewis. They need to step up. They need to play better. Otherwise, we are going to see more and more issues um, you know, at that second corner spot. So, Ryan, to wrap us up here, who is your defensive game ball? I, I mean, I have to. Th- I feel like it's every single week. Jeremiah Wusukoromoa, like – He's a player where he's not always quantified by the box score. You look at the, the box score and it says five tackles, had a forced fumble. That forced fumble was phenomenal, by the way, on the tight end. He absolutely destroyed that kid, knocked the football out. That was a huge play in the game. Jeremiah Wusukoromoa, second leading tackler on the team, had a forced fumble. But the reason that he is so good, we talked about the versatility that he plays with during that game. You saw him man-to-man in the slot against some pretty talented Syracuse wide receivers, Nikeem Johnson, other guys, and he was up to he was up to the challenge. He had a couple pass breakups during the game. Really talented football player who the ability for him to make plays like that, force fumbles, be active in the run game, blitz at times, that makes him such a special football player. And just seeing a guy like him who is being billed as a first-round linebacker, quote-unquote, to be able to flex out on a slot receiver and then make some pass breakups on slants and different route combinations. I think it really speaks volume, and for me, he was the outstanding player defensively for Notre Dame. I've got a, I got, I've got a fun one here for, for my defensive guy. I want to go with – I originally was, was debating if I wanted to give um, Clarence Lewis credit for his big stat line, but you, you talked me out of it a little bit. I, I wanted to at least give him a pat on the back for the forced fumble and going over 10 tackles, but you make a really good point. He was sloppy in coverage. Sorry, Clarence Lewis, you are not giving getting the game ball from me. Instead, I'm giving it to a guy that had only one notable statistic. <laughs> he uh, didn't have any tackles or anything else, but – Dalen oh, no. Hayes. Oh no! Don't had an that. interception. He's a defensive lineman. I have to give him the, the game ball for this. I, he's I, a I hybrid. Love a co- he's a hybrid. Come on. He's a hybrid. But for him to get an interception and the spot that he got it in, it was an important spot. It was a, a tra- and I know this is not. We talked about this is not a 
uh, a impactful game where they needed to a tone setting play. They were going to beat them regardless, but it, it took the pressure off of the offense that was struggling a little bit and then transitioned the 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 momentum very much in favor of Notre Dame when Dalen Hayes had that interception. He didn't statistically register anything else, but that interception was pretty pretty fantastic. And I, I was screaming when I saw it. I'm like, Dalen Hayes just had an interception? Like, he's the last guy I thought who would get a pick. He, he looked pretty smooth when he was uh, yeah. after, after the catch, too. It was pretty funny. I like how you talk about momentum there, though, cut momentum. It's so funny. I see on Twitter all the time people are like, oh, momentum's not a real thing. I'm like, you never played football if you don't think right. momentum's a real thing. Right, yeah, that, that, that's one of those things I always get a good laugh uh, laugh about because momentum is 100% a big factor in football. It is one of the most emotional sports and mentally draining sports out there. So when something goes your way and you're tired as hell at the end of the game, something like that really helps you, especially at the end of a, end of a half. Put some juice behind you, you know, and, and you're maybe a little bit nervous because things are going a little slow and you're, you're losing to Syracuse somehow and you're the number two ranked team in the country. You get a pick like that, it's like, damn, we're back. What were we worried about? <laughs> we do do this every week. Uh, all right. Well, that is going to be it from us, folks. Thank you for tuning in to Locked on Irish, your daily Notre Dame athletics podcast. Tomorrow on Tuesday, we are going to talk with Jay Stevens of Locked on Buckeyes. Please go follow us on social media um, at Joe DeLeon, at Rise and Draft, and also at Locked on Irish on Twitter. Hit that subscribe button and review if you are a fan of the show and you want to stay up to date. And then lastly, if you're looking for something else to tune into, as I already talked about, Locked on NBA has some fantastic stuff coming up. Make sure you're caught up with your favorite NBA team. We'll talk to you tomorrow, folks.